Fellow knowledge seekers, I hope you've had a chance to listen to the Waterline podcast on iTunes or in your Android podcast app. People ask me all the time, Shane, what's the future look like? Are we going to flourish? Are we are we going to drive ourselves to extinction? Are we going to destroy everything? Are we going to create heaven on earth? A big part of that incredibly complicated question is water. Water is absolutely fundamental to life. And knowing what is going on with water, the various technologies, the economics, political, social, behavioral, technological, and environmental aspects of water around the globe is really fundamental to understanding questions like that. And if you guys are into science and learning about things that affect our lives and the world, which I know you are, I believe the Waterline podcast is for for you. I just finished a episode called Water for All Regulation all about comparing the different regulations in different areas like the Israeli water law passed in 1959 and comparing how their system of of regulating water compares to California's model of regulating and how We might work together to figure out the best pros and the cons of different systems all around the world. Very, very important stuff. Please check out the Waterline podcast on your Android app and at the iTunes store. Everybody and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Uh, today I have a, a new friend, a special guest, Nina Rubin, who is a Gestalt life coach. And um, I don't even know what that means, everybody. <laughs> Nina and I actually we met on a uh, on a podcast called Ask Women. Uh, it was all about kind of um, dating advice for guys, and I was I was the um, token guy on the and podcast. you were the comedy relief and I was uh, I tr- attempted to be the comedy relief and um, and then uh, I I asked Nina what um, more about her work afterwards and I thought it would be fun uh, to have her on um, because one I don't even know what gestalt life coaching is and two I have to say I'm I'm just like kind of like a skeptical guy in general and so I haven't I've never even thought to go to a life coach. I mean, I just interviewed. I just interviewed um, uh, this this guy the other day, who is the founder of of uh, Get Some Headspace, which is a guided meditation app. Okay. And um, and probably two years ago, had I done this podcast before ever doing meditation, I would have been like, ah, I don't. I'm not all that interested. I would have been skeptical and and everything. And uh, and it was absolutely one of my favorite episodes um, thus far. So um, I I am very curious. I'm I'm going to uh, try to be as open minded as possible. I I'm a kind of guy who I've read plenty of self help books and stuff in my life, and I've also made fun of self help jokes <laughs> and, so and, and many many jokes in my in my life. So I'm curious to get your take on it, and I think a lot of my 
I'd imagine a lot of my listeners are probably in the same position I am. They've probably never been to a life coach. They probably don't know exactly uh, what that even means exactly. So what is a gestalt life coach? Okay, I'll give you a little bit of background, not just on life coaching and gestalt life coaching, yeah. but on me and how I got here. Okay. Because I think that's a, that, that'll make it come full circle before we even get it too involved, involved. So basically, I started out uh, deciding to go to... I started out seeing a therapist maybe 10 years ago and I saw a therapist because I had some, I was just sort of having a difficult time in my life. I'd had a breakup and I was just experiencing tons and tons of self doubt and sadness and anxiety and typical stuff that you experience when you're like 24 or 25. Okay. So, and that's the period I call like the quarter life crisis. So I started seeing a therapist and she happened to be a gestalt therapist. Well, I didn't know what that was. And I just liked her so, so much that I became really interested in gestalt as a result of our work together. So I asked her to start giving me assignments, um, which is something she didn't normally do. And so I asked her to please start giving me articles to read. And so... After a further discussion, she decided it would be okay for me to read up on it. Um, and it's not a secret, but usually therapists don't give their clients um, homework about the modality of the type of therapy that they're in. Usually the homework is um, make a list of your top five qualities and attributes that you're looking for in a mate and bring this list in next week. Right. It's usually not theoretical. Right. But I like academics and I like theory stuff, so that it was, it was perfect for me. So I did a bunch of reading on Gestalt, and I'll get into what it was, and learned. I just learned a ton, and it really informed our therapy, and it made me, um, I think, a, a more astute patient, and it made her be able to speak to me um, at a higher level rather than talking down, and right. so I, I, li I liked that. Well, cut to a couple years later, and I was deciding what I wanted to be when I grew up. And one of the things was that she suggested me becoming a therapist. And that was like the best feeling ever for your therapist, like your beloved therapist to tell you, you might actually be good at this. So I looked into, among other things, graduate school for therapy, as well as um, I thought about becoming a veterinarian too. But I decided therapy was a better route. I don't do very well with um, blood and guts and stuff yeah. like that and surgery so i became a therapist so well i didn't just become a therapist i researched graduate programs and then i applied and got into one in los angeles called antioch university of los angeles and they have a very good marriage and family therapy program so i went to graduate school and then did all of my hours to become a therapist and to become a therapist a person has to get 3,000 hours, and but most of those are face-to-face -face hours working with clients. And the clients can be children, couples, groups, or adults. And, or, yeah. and um, all of these hours, most of the hours are done at a community mental health center. Mm -hmm. And they're done under supervision, which means that uh, for every like, X amount of hours, I talk to a supervisor about the cases. And I have one-on-one -on -one as well as group supervision. So this went on for years. And then I, in, during all of this, I worked at many different places, et cetera, and um, I became a therapist. Mm -hmm. Well, then, a year and a half ago, and I did that for about seven years, a year and a half ago, I changed my practice from a therapy practice to a coaching practice, still under the modality of Gestalt, which I will still get into. And I... I 
I so I changed my therapist my practice to be a coach instead of a therapist, and my life has been much better ever since. So why why did you so, decide to? Um, I decided to make the change because I had a supervisor in my private practice, and we had some differing thoughts on basically how to be how to be in practice and I could have gotten a different supervisor or worked different places or worked completely on my own all of the above but I realized through therapy that if you're licensed in the state of California you really can only work with people in California Mm. and I know we have a giant state there's tons of people to work with but I also wanted the flexibility to work on Skype or on um uh, like on Skype or doing FaceTime sessions and have international clients. And as a therapist, you can't, uh, you can't do that anymore. That's not legal. Right. And I wanted to follow laws and rules. So then the other part was I felt like, I felt like as a coach, I had more leeway to try new things and be more experimental with my clients. And I, I feel like it's just a better fit for me. So as a therapist, I felt, um, I felt really boxed in and I felt like whenever my clients and I would talk about, anything we were circling the drain and continued to talk about the same thing over and over and over and I imagined them feeling really frustrated but I also knew I felt really frustrated like why are we continuing to talk about this thing for six years why hasn't there been any movement and when I would bring this up with my supervisor she would encourage me to just keep listening keep it being interested keep exploring and noticing my own and my client's own awareness and I did all of that and still nothing would change and I got to the point where I thought, well, we need to do something differently. And so I would, I would make recommendations to my clients, um, suggestions, like, have you tried such and such already? And she, my supervisor thought that was, like, too coachy. And I thought, well, then maybe, I, I, maybe I'm better suited to be a coach. Right. And so I changed. And it was, it was miraculous. Like, my, light, like my life opened up and, like, <laughs> light just happened, like, shone in, like, shined in. And it was great. Yeah, I love telling people what to do as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, so as a co- no, well, I like to tell my brother what to do, but um, I don't actually tell my clients what to do. Right. In fact, when I've tried that, it's really backfired, and we've had some big mishaps, and that hasn't been good either. So um, I'd like to start telling you what Gestalt is, right. and then we'll get into what I do as a coach. Okay. So Gestalt loosely translates from German to English as wholeness being whole, a whole, being your whole self, a whole person. So I think a lot of people, I mean, I know I used to do this, would have like different compartments or segments in their lives. Like, oh, I'm my professional lawyer self. And then when I get home, I'm my, um, I, I'm a girlfriend to somebody. And so I'm my girlfriend to self. And then when I'm with these friends, I'm, um, <clears throat> We all wear these many hats exactly, in our lives. and then we're, there's we're not much overlap. Or boss, or, exactly. I'm sister yeah. and brother, and there's not. Sometimes there's not much overlap, and maybe that's appropriate. But sometimes there could be overlap, but we don't know how to be whole and be our true selves in all of those different places. Mm. So Gestalt loosely translates to wholeness, and was founded in the late 40s, early 50s by a German guy called Fritz Perls, and he lived in Germany for most of his life, and then he moved to England, and then he lived in California and um, ended up retiring in Esalen in Big Sur. And he was sort of, he's a real character. He's now dead, but he was a real character. And there are these videos called the Gloria videos where you can see Fritz Perls 
doing therapy with a woman and he's like smoking chain smoking and blowing smoke into her face with and he has like a th- really thick <laughs> accent <laughs> yeah okay he has this thick accent and he's really maybe that's what some clients need as just some secondhand smoke that's that's exactly right and it just fixes everything it does it makes them not (laughs) come back and then they think oh i need to do something differently now (laughs) (laughs) so fritz was a real character and he doesn't the way gestalt is practiced now isn't really like that but he was very directive which meant he would like really tell people what to do and he was also um he was pretty insistent that he was right he had sort of a hi- like he believed in a hierarchy like he was the expert and you were the client or the patient and you were you were coming to him to seek his his expertise and his advice so i don't work that way now i think that the trend in gestalt therapy is more relational which means that if you and i work together in gestalt coaching or gestalt therapy um I want our relationship to be pretty flat which means i want us to be i'm an expert of me and you're an expert of you and I look to you for you to tell me what what you know, and you look to me to for me to tell me what I know. But I don't know much about you, so right. the hierarchy is flattened as much as much as possible. But there's still going to be some some hierarchy because there's always the transfer of money. Right. So if you're paying me, there's all uh, then I'm still there's it's not going to be flat like friends. Right. There right. is there's still that there's still that. Okay, so so your friends get the better coaching. Yeah, that my friends get the great coaching, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> really good coaching, <laughs> and I get coaching from them too, as a matter of fact. But um, let's see. The next part about Gestalt is there's this relational aspect. So I like to bring myself into the room, and um, so that means I might disclose something about myself, and a disclosure might be something like. How are how I'm feeling in the moment, or it could be a, a personal disclosure about something that has actually happened to me in my past. So, if a client is talking about a really hard breakup, I might share an experience of my hard breakup if it seems pertinent or or, or appropriate. I won't share things that happened last night, most likely. It's usually more historical for me, but I most always share a feeling I'm having or feedback with a client. So right now, I'm experiencing you looking at me, and I'm experiencing myself talking a lot, and it's making my heart race. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that would be a disclosure, right, right, as well right. as that would be a disclosure. Be- because you're like, do I need to keep talking? Right. Is he going to step in exactly. and ask me some questions? <laughs> and. And uh, and I'm sitting here going, oh, should I step in now? <laughs> she is, I, she has been uh, talking for a fair amount, but there's a lot to set up here. Should I just let her go? And now we're relating to one another. Right. So this is the relational aspect. Right. And so in Gestalt, in Gestalt coaching, what I, what I do with my clients is that we do check-ins. So what I just did and what you just did is a check-in. We're doing great. We're doing great. You got we it. We were both a little nervous, <laughs> but it turns out everything's okay. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right. But I think that in I think that in our bodies we experience things a lot more physically than we do mentally, or at least first. So, example, um, when I'm really nervous, or maybe when you're really nervous, you're probably never nervous. Um, oh, never, never have been, never will be. Exactly. Well, I skew towards anxiety sometimes, <laughs> and the one time I was nervous, or the one time this hour I was nervous, I might have gotten a stomach ache. So I know, for example, I have a stomach, and I don't have one now, but I might know, I'm, I'm aware that I have a stomach ache, and then I have to check in and think, why might I have this stomach ache? Is it because I ate something bad, or am I nervous about something or 
is something just not feeling right. So the mm. way I practice is from a physical point of view first, and then we have words second. So in a check-in, I ask my clients to use goggles and look inward mm. and notice, like, are, is their heart are their hearts racing? Are they hot? Um, do they feel some kind of tingly sensation or uh, tightness of breath, etc.? And then why? Rather than why first and then, oh, what else is happening? Right. So I think that's really interesting. Yeah, I, um, you know, I, I'm very interested in kind of um, the mind-body connection and how, and how the brain puts together this view on, on life. And a lot of times we're intellectualizing something, but we're not we're not quite aware of um, of how much our physical sensations are are, uh, are are kind of influencing some of that. And it, like one of my one of my all time favorite um, studies about that is is they had uh, they had these people come in for a survey, right, for this study, and, and they think the uh, study is the survey, of course, that's the way it's presented, and they get in this elevator to go up to take the survey, and, and that, and, uh, but they don't realize is the study actually starts in the elevator. There's a person in the elevator who, who uh, uh, you know, an actor or whatever's in the elevator with, with all these, um, with all the stuff in his hands, and he's holding a drink, and see there a cup of coffee or an ice water um and and he's like oh can you uh, i'm gonna spill this can you hold on to this for a minute and then they ride the elevator up and and the person taking the study is holding on to their cup for them um and they get off and you know well thanks for doing that whatever gives them the drink back they think nothing of it. They go and they take this survey, which is about nothing. And then <laughs> at the end of it, they go, "Did you did you run into anyone on the way in?" And and they'll be like, "Oh, oh yeah, I did actually. I ran into someone in the elevator." And they're like, "Oh, what was, what what were they like? Like, what was your impression of them?" And if they were holding the hot cup of coffee, often they would describe them as like warm and friendly. And if they're uh, holding the cold. Ice water, they, they would uh, describe them as like cold or distant. Really? Uh, often. And so, so a lot of the idea is, is that our, our kind of cortex, the stuff that's doing a lot of the um, intellectual heavy lifting, the stuff that we think makes us so very special as, as humans, and uh, we're able to come up with all these great ideas and concepts and intellectualize everything. Well, it was actually, it, it evolved and was built on top of this older framework that that was mostly just kind of responding to physical sensations and so as it was built it needed to be built on that foundation and so it's still getting feedback uh from that and i and i mean i i felt it um sometimes in my life and it, you know i went through an injury yeah your um, foot yeah feet. yeah feet and well one of them had a surgery and earlier in the year i had i remember there's this uh there was there was like a um, a hole in my uh, in my foot that I had to that was rather terrifying and I had to change it like three times a day and it was like the size of a golf ball. Oh, you mean like gauze it or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, uh, and and it was most of my life was just this dumb foothole for about two months and and I remember one day I was I was like feeling. Um, 
depressed, but uh, like I'm pretty used to depression, but I was feeling it in like a different way. And I was like, what is this? Like, I feel like, uh, like empty, like a void, like there's something missing. And I was like, oh, wait a second. There's a hole. In my, <laughs> I'm like just describing a hole. There's a hole in my foot right, right now, right, right. which then like I apply to like this pit in my soul, you know, and it is kind of interesting that, uh, uh, you know, now that I meditate and stuff, I'll notice that there's tightness in my body or something that is sometimes causing kind of a bit of anxiety or whatever mm-hmm. in my in my life. So the other word for what we're noticing is called somatic experience. Hmm. So I don't know if you're familiar with that word. Are you? I've heard the, uh, I've heard it used. I, you'll have to refresh me. Sure. So the somatic experience is basically a description for what you're experiencing in your body. <laughs> so when you're talking about the hole that you felt and how you were depressed and like something's missing and then you look down and you see the actual hole. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. um, that's the, that's your, that, that is the, exp- the somatic experience. Right, right. So it's, um, it's sort of like the, or the stomach ache when you're nervous, the thing that you feel and then the words to describe it later. Right. And this is a lot of how like panic, panic attacks. Yeah, that's exactly work right. as your brain's like, Hey, something's wrong. And it, it starts like, kind of small like hey i think maybe something's wrong and then there's this uh hormonal cascade that that then goes and activates all this stress response and now your hands are sweaty and now a different part of your brain that is looking for physical feedback goes hey why are our hands sweaty right now why are we showing these physical signs of nervousness oh there must be something wrong and then it switches back to that other part and it's like yeah something's really wrong right now and then there's this feedback loop that people can't seem to snap themselves out of they just can't because there is actually nothing like tangible wrong in that moment it was just kind of a chemical reaction i have something similar which is so strange but i hate when people crack their knuckles I, I don't. I'm sorry. I know. Okay, I know. I know. Please stop it. Stop. <laughs> no. But then the worst part is when they try and crack mine because I hate it so much. People, uh, people try to. Cr- oh, because you tell them. Yeah, they like, hate I hate that. It, and, and then, then they're like, like, oh, you to- hate that? Well, so here, they- let me crack yeah, your so, knuckles. So the people, strangest thing yeah, to people do like to, to uh, another yeah, person. People like to crack my knuckles or my toes. It's so gross to me. And the minute somebody grabs my foot, I break out into a sweat and my hands start to sweat. And I get so nervous because I feel like <laughs> I hate the sound. I hate how it feels. And I'm worried that my feet are going to break. Yeah, yeah. Or my my fingernail, my my fingers are gonna break. Yeah. And people love doing this to me. It's not it's not just once. I mean, people have done this over and over and over. Yeah. And I have a somatic experience, or I have like a physical reaction of stress when people do this to me. I have that oh. with uh, with nipples. I have, <laughs> I have very sensitive nipples. I think it's because, um, like t- in my high school, titty twisters yeah. were a real big thing. <laughs> Only my high school. Only yours. I've never heard of them, but I'm glad. Yeah, it sounds interesting. Well, uh, I'll explain for the (laughs) listeners that aren't familiar. What you do is you want to take your thumb and kind of curl up your index finger and squeeze around the nipple and then give a little twist. Is it counterclockwise or clockwise? Uh, Well, it depends on what hand you are. (laughs) You know, if you're left-handed, probably counterclockwise. If you're (laughs) right-handed, clockwise. And I don't don't know if it's just from that or whatever, but I, I... don't handle um, any nipple, nipple play, play whatsoever <laughs> very well. And that would sometimes, which has also been awkward. Um, uh, I've had some awkward experiences where I've just like suffered through it rather than tell 
uh, <laughs> rather than tell someone. But also, sometimes you'll uh, I'll tell a girl, and that will that will like it's funny to her, so that will make her want to do it more than she normally would. Yep, People just like are me. Are bastards. Yep, like and that. just like me with those knuckles, I hate yeah. it. Ugh. So anyway, um, we're talking about somatic experience. Yep. We can just talk about tw- titty twisters for another half hour or so. I think it's fine. I think that's what your audience uh, would probably want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's uh, some, uh, Come for the gestalt therapy. Stay for the titty twister <laughs> talk. That's, uh, but do that's you know about, all... in my high school, people would do would say would not only do the titty twister, but they would say, tune in Tokyo. Do you know that? No. Oh. <laughs> tune in Tokyo? Is, uh, what's like that a radio dial. Mean? It's like oh. a radio dial. <laughs> Like a ham radio. Very clever. (laughs) Kids are so bright like Mm -hmm. that. Um, (laughs) All right. So so back to your work. Okay. So in sessions, we never do titty twisters. What? No, not in my not sessions. Once? Not once. Not well, once. I've never had that happen to me know. or Maybe them. And it's, I don't it's think like it's going to happen. It's a relational thing. It, that's, that's a good point, but not in sessions with me, <laughs> typically. Boring. So um, my clients and I work relationally. And then let's see what else. Um... Oh, yeah. The big thing about Gestalt is that it's here and now. It's very present focused and present centered. So my clients and I don't typically talk about like their first memories. Hmm. We could, but we never I never start sessions or a relationship with a client. Let's tell me your first memory. It was breaking my arm. When was, I was that really? Yeah, was yeah. It? When I was like three years old or something like that. Yeah, my dad was was flipping me around on the bed. It was uh, the most fun <laughs> I'd ever had in my whole life, and demanded that he keep doing it. And then one time, I landed with my arm behind my back, oh. and it broke my arm. And that's my first memory in life is of my dad breaking my arm. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably his worst memory. Uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, but uh, and and so now you have to share yours, even though this is exactly what you normally don't do, but we're relating right okay, now we this are is relating. very relational i think my first memory might be my one of my birthday parties as a kid i remember see i don't remember if, i don't know if i remember this or if i just remember it from the picture but i remember wearing these like this beautiful white dress with pink like a pink sash or something on it and i had my hair in a big bow my mom did my hair and i had these clip-on earrings i was probably like three or two because i didn't have my ears pierced until i was seven mm-hmm. and I remember standing in our yard um, to the left and just like looking and smiling. But that's the only mem- that's that's it. That's the memory. Yeah, or yeah. No more. Yeah, and I I mean I guess this is this is one of my kind of skepticisms with regular um, like kind of Freudian type therapy. Psychoanalysis is is that it's. It's that it's so much like, okay, well, your dad flipped you on the bed and you broke your arm and then there was, that's why you have the, these trust issues as a 35-year-old and right. everything. I'm like, I, uh, I'm not sure. And like, that's why I like to wear dresses because I wore the dress on <laughs> my birthday. That's not true. Right, right. So I don't know. That could be my first memory, but I don't, I never, I rarely do that with clients. In fact, I never do that with clients. I'm going to be real. I never so, so you're, you're kind of 
talking about what's what's going on with you right now. Yes. So a client will come in. And another thing that's different and interesting about Gestalt coaching compared to therapy is this. I notice that when I get new clients now who come for coaching, they usually have a growth mindset, which means that they're coming to me thinking, I know I have something that's going on, some kind of issue or problem, and I want to make it find a solution that's livable and hopefully quick that we can work on together. And typically, when call, when clients used to call me for therapy, they would say, I don't know what's wrong, but something's wrong, and let's discuss it, and discuss it, and discuss it. Mm. And it, 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 it's really interesting. That's the biggest difference I notice with clients, is that their mindset to call a coach is more solution-focused uh, solution or even forward-thinking. Whereas like I want to, I fell out after I hurt myself, I fell out, I was in really good shape. I just finally gotten into like being fit for the first time ever. And now that I'm like doing better and can start like doing more, I can't seem to get myself to that's exactly work right. out. Right. And like that's, that's a goal that I would very much like to accomplish and I just cannot seem to get myself. So if it. you called me for this issue right. or, or it could be, it could be any issue, but let's say it was this, um, we would talk about what are, what's preventing you from starting. But beyond that, what do you like to do? May, do you have time? Do you make time? Um, I think, yes, I definitely have time. No, I definitely don't make time. I often just like put it off, even though I have plenty of opportunities mm -hmm. throughout the day. As far as things that I like to do, I really like rock climbing, which mm -hmm. I probably can't quite do just yet. Because um, of your foot? Yeah. Yeah. It's just, um, it's a lot of footwork yeah. um, for rock climbing. And I definitely don't really like working out. I did CrossFit before it, oh, and it was, um, yeah, and I loved it, but I hated going. I loved having had done it. So you, you know? liked, you never regretted or rarely regretted the workout an hour later, but it was hard to motivate to get there? Yeah, and even during, I mean, sometimes, there's a few times when I almost just left and was like, I guess I'll just never, I got, I think I'm going to just going to leave right now and never come back because it'll be so embarrassing that <laughs> I have to just split because I just cannot do this. Anymore. I did CrossFit for five years Yeah, and it was fun. I, I, I liked CrossFit, et cetera, but, um, but by the way, I have no frame of reference. I never like tried any other thing. Right, so right, I'm, not, right, right. I'm not saying CrossFit's the answer for anybody. I, I, or no, for everybody. I, it, it worked for me. I enjoyed it. I don't know what else is out there. So maybe in terms of you in getting yourself more fit, maybe the other definite, the thing we would want to find out is what does fitness mean to you? So how do you define fit or fitness? Also, do you tend to work out and work better in a group or by yourself? Um, well, in a group, I get very, very self-conscious, but I do seem to get a lot more done in a group. When I work out by myself, like if I'm in a hotel um, on the road and I go to, if I finally get myself to go to the gym and get a workout in, I definitely, I don't push myself the same way I would in a group. Mm -hmm. I mean, ideally what I would like is a personal trainer, right. which I simply can't afford yet. Um, yet. And so also I want lots more money. Can you right. help with that? Oh, I, that's, <laughs> that's one of the biggest things that people yeah, come yeah. to me for. Right. 
in fact yesterday a client and i met and we were discussing her finances and she's a yoga instructor and we talked about essentially she has to eliminate and cut out some of the classes she's taking so that she'll have more space even though she'll she'll have a couple weeks where she might not make as much money but she'll be able to fill her time with things that are more lucrative but that might mean giving something up Mm-hmm. And so that's something we talked about. We also talked, we brainstormed and we talked about places that she can call um, and how to get more clients. And I think part of coaching, at least with me, is this br- is having safety to brainstorm and I'm not going to judge you mm. or my, I'm not going to judge my clients. And I usually, am, I love brainstorming. That's like one of my favorite things to do. And so I think that's where people feel safe with me is because we can talk about anything that seems really small and even silly to things that seem radical and hard and big that might take more time, but having a framework that this is where we could get, or maybe not, but it's fun to talk about anyway. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's another, I mean, finances I'm sure are are a major stressor for many. I'm sure I know (laughs) finances are a major stress stressor for uh, everybody. And, And I have, I mean, I definitely have. That's another thing that I would like to work on. I'm I'm pretty disciplined when it comes to creating, creating stand up, and and creating this podcast and all of that. I I put a fair amount of hours into, and then like busy work um, responsibilities, like any bookkeeping kind of Ugh, stuff. No any, one wants like, to do that. I know, I know, but like I can't just suck it up and do it. Like a lot of people can like have their checklist and be like all right, well, it's not going to be fun, but I'm going to check off all these things today. And it makes them like feel better because they have anxiety. Otherwise, like I don't have anxiety. Uh, otherwise I'll just like, just for good- I'll just start getting more and more like bills in the mail because I refuse to pay a traffic ticket that I had the money for. And now is five times more than what it's I've been there. out as. And, and I just like, I'm just like I don't feel like doing that, so I'm not I'm not going to, and I definitely need a lot of work with that. So some of my clients, actually, one of my clients and I would spend time together on the phone, and we would do busy work, all mm. of the stuff that no one wants to do, because he would sometimes just need handholding. Or yeah. I have another client who sometimes comes to session, and we write emails that he need that he doesn't want to write, and they're not hard, and they only take like two minutes. But he just can't make it motivate himself to do them. And so yeah. for like five minutes of session, he writes emails and we discuss what he's going to say and how to say it quickly. And that's part of what he does. And I've at first when that happened, at first when that happened, I asked him, is this really how you want to spend your time? And he said, this is exactly how I want to spend my time. I think because I'm I not feel like doing that's how I would want to spend my time. That's so, what I would need a life coach for. And so sometimes it's sometimes it's the accountability and and knowing that when he comes here to see me or where we, wherever we meet, we're going to be working on things for his career, which I I like doing with him. But he's a he's an actor and a um, uh, yeah he's he's an actor and he also takes a lot of improv classes, and he was for a long time trying to get representation. So we would spend time looking at his list and crafting messages to send to various casting people and the headshots and making a package. We would literally like make packages and I would help him because mm. he sometimes didn't have anyone to help him, but also he, we could be talking about other thi- other things and it would be sort of like, 
I think I think a lot of times sometimes it's hard to ask your friends for that kind of because they're doing the same thing. I've kind of just gone through a lot of this with a new show I'm putting together and a bunch of stuff like a a new description of the show Mm -hmm. and all that that I had to write up and I I I reached out to a few friends but I often don't feel comfortable seeking that kind of advice. And I think with my this particular client, he didn't always feel comfortable because they were doing the same thing, Mm -hmm. and it was it became uh, an exercise in competition which he didn't want, but also he felt like he didn't have anything to give them. Plus, it's also like packets are real cheesy and they're kind of like the dumb part of the job, right? uh, You know, and so it's also like kind of. It's not the when, when, when when you're when you're emailing another comedian your bio to look over about how uh, Shane uh, Shane Moss is a nationally re- renowned you know and then it's like oh now I just feel like an idiot bragging about myself which is just this stupid thing that you have to do right. to make yourself sound good on a poster or yeah. whatever you know. And uh, so, yeah, I, I can see how that could be helpful. So other clients come in for things like, okay, so I have another client who was in a, a long relationship with somebody and they ended up unfortunately breaking up because of religious differences. The, the couple didn't find that their religions were the problem, but their families did. And so my client, the it was a, it was a heterosexual couple and the, my client was the woman or is the woman and she would feel so stressed about the conversations she constantly had to have with her boyfriend about if he's talking to his parents and if they're talking enough or the conversations she was going to have with her parents. So we did a lot of role playing and what, what do you want to say? What do you need to say? Um, is this anxiety? How is this anxiety overlapping into other parts of your life? And, okay, you're also applying to business school. How does this, how does this color your business school applications? Mm. Do we need to spe- spend some time in today's session actually like discussing business school because all of this other stuff is clouding your goal of business school? Right. So we would do both. Hmm. And that, that was really awesome. I, li- I, I love working with her. Yeah, I, I mean, I do like, um, I like the idea of, of uh, like, I remember when I started out in comedy, I, I took a, I took a comedy class and a lot of people kind of, uh, a lot of comedians are like, you can't learn how to do comedy, which is, is kind of a, this odd, bizarre thing. And there are like kind of a lot of charlatans out there, but, um, but, and like bad comedians teaching stand up for some reason, don't know what they're talking about. But, but one of the things that I got the most value out of was it was just this dedicated time each week where I would have to bring like all of these new jokes to work on or whatever. And then throughout the week, I would be writing a lot more jokes in uh, because I had that deadline. Right. The deadline or the due date or the accountability is Mm -hmm. really what matters because maybe the class, maybe who knows if the teacher was great or not, but if it gave you a framework with which to work, yeah. that it made you stay on top of it that was huge i mean even i, I feel, i've always felt that way about like self-help books mm-hmm. as well like even even when i'm reading one that i'm like yeah this is kind of a little fluffy and and I'm, I'm not sure i agree with a lot of this stuff um sometimes just just reading the book would be motivating as i was reading it not necessarily even what i was learning it's just like well i'm reading a book say on writing right now right. so i just find myself writing more because i'm or or you know on business or something mm-hmm. so i find myself dedicating 
more effort to my job. I find self-help, so we to start with this, oh my goodness. So self-help is a really big industry, so much money in it. And it makes me cringe anytime people think of me as like a Tony Robbins because yeah, I don't feel yeah, that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't I feel mean, that way. I'm, I'm glad that you don't feel <laughs> that way about yourself because I, I, I mean, I think a lot of that stuff is like, um, everyone's trying to sell this like pure happiness or pure bliss oh, or like my become. God. A, be- everyone can be rich and like no time and and it's a lot of and also you can manifest things easily but that's not true right. i believe in like hard work and i believe that we're not always going to be happy and that happiness i don't think is the goal uh, i very much agree with you we aren't we aren't built for happiness no. Hap- happiness is a motivator just like pain is a motivator right, right. You know? and i think that i i like to have lots of days that are happy in fact i'm having one today I feel really happy and it's a, an emotion and it's a feeling, but it's not. And yeah, it is a lifestyle and it's a mindset. It's all of these things, but I don't think that I don't think I'm built or you're, I don't think we're built to just because we're human to be happy. No, and they've, they've actually, I think we talked about this with, um, June Groover, June Groover, one of my very first, um, guests on the show. There has been a fair amount of research that, that, uh, where, where they have people kind of fill out, um, surveys on how happy they expect to be in life yes. and how happy they actually feel in life. And usually the, the people with the higher expectations actually had the, the lowest overall Happy, uh, happiness. sense of, uh, yeah, quote unquote quote happiness, happiness, whatever that even means. But you also, know, happiness I mean, is like such a big broad general word that means a million like a roller coaster can make you happy and so can like a degree that you worked hard for well, and six years for well and actually that's the thing i think that happiness is a fleeting is fleeting and i think i think but then again i think most emotions are fleeting but that fleetingness like somebody who skews towards depression they're not choosing depression they might have a chemical problem in their brains but that being said, they still have depression right. and they don't want to be there. But with happiness, we never are told, oh, you're being too happy. You need to get out of it. Yeah. They, like, and then sometimes I do like to, I do meet some people where I'm like, hey, will you chill with right. that? Like, because it doesn't even seem real. Right. Like how ecstatic you seem like, all the time. I think that meaning in life, finding meaning and fulfill, and for me, happiness comes from meaning or fulfillment, purpose, rather than an ice cream. I mean, an ice cream will make me glad in a second, and then I'll eat it, and I'll be sad it's finished. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I think that with life coach, I mean, not life coaching, excuse me, um, with self-help, so much of the, uh, there's so much of a, of the industry is revolving around being happy, making money, manifesting your dreams and thinking it, and then you'll get it. And most of it's just like a good title and a hook. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, and, and the metaphysics stuff is oh, like, God. it drives me kind of crazy, me too. Uh, which if we, if we were just like, if our non-conscious was like manifesting and making like physical changes in the world, the whole world would just be like this disgusting masturbatory fantasy of like because that's what people's non-conscious is, is doing. That's right. what they would be projecting into right. the world, and that's not reality. I agree. So 
I don't. I'm not a big fan of much self help. Um, there are a couple books that. I yeah. That I mean that's I mean that's kind of my point was was that was that that's the only thing that I ever got out of self help books was that it made me accountable at the actual time that I was reading it. Like it would make me fo- It's like well, you're taking the time to read this book about writing, so. You Might better well be write. writing more as well. Whereas, like, after I'm done with it, I didn't come away with any lessons or anything like that. And then I end up going right back to whatever my old habits were. Exactly. And I think that's where... Okay, so in terms of Gestalt, that the, rela- the relational piece is really important. Um, because I think that we cha- we can develop changes that are lasting and new habits through and with another person. Mm -hmm. And I think that just reading the self-help book isn't going to produce many lasting results typically. And I think people usually want lasting results. Right. I also think that, um, when, when we brainstorm in a vacuum, i.e. when I brainstorm by myself, I'm not having a very, I'm not having a very good experience because there's no one to, to like think of my ideas and bounce them off of. So if we are thinking about how you can get into better shape, to use that example, and then I say, oh, I'll just go to the gym with you, or let's go for a run, or maybe you can't run, but we'll do handstand walks instead. So then, um, then that would that could really help you, <laughs> as my cat also wants to be relational and sit on your lap. Yeah. Um, I hope you're not allergic. Cute. No, I'm not. I'm good. So I think that in terms of coaching, having just having another person be on your side is huge. Somebody who listens, um, somebody who gives feedback, and the feedback I give is sort of the type that's like, oh, well, right now you're acting in a way that makes me not feel very close to you. That's the kind of feedback I might give. Or, oh, wow, I feel much closer to you now that you expressed this, or I'm so happy that my cat is sitting on your lap. It makes me see how much of a genuine person you are. <laughs> or whatever. Right, right. Um, uh, so it, it, that's wonderful. And you have, you have some international clients. And I stuff. do. So, so how, does, how does your life coaching – so, so someone, someone's listening to this and they want, and they want to give – um, this life coaching a try and they don't live in California, but they know they can like Skype with you or whatever. Um, so what, what is the process? So people would typically look at my website and the website address is www.coachingbyninarubin.com. And from there they can contact me. There's a form or they can email me or they can, they can find out more information. Yeah, They can find out more information. I also write a blog. And my blog is all about relationships or just general musings on life. My blog is called afterdefeat.wordpress.com. And I started writing it after I had experienced some hardship in my own life. And I felt like there was no way out. So I started writing. And I, I, I created this blog like two years ago but never wrote because I was too self-conscious. Mm-hmm. And so then a few months ago, maybe like February of 2015, I, Sorry. Wow. Your cat just attacked me. We are not relating very well at the moment. All right. There we go. Um, okay. So I'm sorry about that. That's okay. Okay. So uh, like in February 2015, I started, I had some difficulty and I decided I need to just write about this. Forget the self-doubt and the self-consciousness. Just put something down. And so I started writing and I've been writing ever since every week. And I write about defeat and, t- and comebacks. I think that's really interesting because I think that there's a lot of blogs and a lot of 
just general self-help that's all about how great everything is all the time. And I don't think that things are always so great. Yeah. I don't want to be like Miss Negative. Oh, no. I appreciate <laughs> you saying that because most people, yeah, I mean, I think that's, I think that's, it weighs on people a lot thinking that things are supposed to be so yeah. great all the time and thinking that. Because everyone kind of in social situations often presents themselves that way. And, right, and you go, go and you p- see it's like you're in a relationship and then you go and you do this double date with this other couple. And They're it's so like, perfect. well, yeah, they, they must never fight. And, and, and you don't see the reality of it. So then you go, well, what's wrong with us? Why, why do we fight? And, and they seem to get along um, so well. And they're probably thinking the same thing about you. Are. And so... So we all have kind of these unrealistic expectations yeah. and, and, uh, and definitely I, I don't think that you should have to feel bad for feeling bad. Like that doesn't I agree. Help. And I think it's really hard because in social situations we go and somebody says, how are you doing? And you're supposed to say, I'm great. And, and you're supposed to report something really exciting and new that has, and fresh that has just happened. But what if nothing, what if the new thing that has happened is really d- terrible and like you're going through a divorce or you're, you've been broken up with. Or you didn't get that job that you applied for. And it doesn't really feel like a party is the forum to talk about it. And maybe a party may not be the place to talk about it. But then what is? Why can't we just be real? And so I decided on my blog to just talk about real things. And I use my experiences as an example. I mean, they're not an example. They're real. So they're not made up. And so that's what I write about. And so so you do... um, um, so relationships are a big part of, yeah, of I, I, your coaching as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, relationships are a huge part of my coaching because I think relationships are what we're all in. And not only are the re- relationships we're in romantic, but we're also in friendships and family relationships and professional relationships. And so a lot of the things I write about or I just talk about and think about on a regular basis are relationships. It's my favorite topic. So we we met on a, a program gr- giving dating advice. And That's you, right. And you, uh, are, are there? I was curious. Are there any like somewhat con uh, um, common themes that you that you see occurring in a lot of your clients, um, or are are there any um, practices that that you've found that seem to um, snap? Uh, people out of some relationship funks here or there. Okay. So one of the things I notice, and this is probably because it's my, the one of the populations that I typically tend to work with. I work with a lot of single guys, which is why I was on the ask women podcast. Mm-hmm. Not to mention I co-founded wing girls with Marnie. And so that's how we know each other. And she's referred a lot of clients to me, but a lot of the clients I see are single guys who don't want to be single anymore and they want to be in relationships. But so my biggest tip is date and just keep dating and date as much and often and early and just keep dating do a lot of dating and what if people are like well I don't like online dating okay don't do online dating do something else like talk to people ask your friends to be set up um do something and I just am a big believer in putting yourself out there even like one little ounce and you'll get some kind of something good something better will happen or hopefully will happen and i can't always say it will always be better and it won't always be better sooner but you're on a on track and i think that when we wait in our apartments for somebody to come to our doors and scoop us off our feet the only people who are coming are like ups if we order a lot of amazon packages and so there we may not have that many dates so 
if we want to date, I think that we have to let go of this belief that we're not good enough to date or we're not handsome enough or beautiful enough. That's crap. There's always somebody that we can date. And so, so do you actually like help guys like whether it be like put together their online oh, profile yeah. or? Oh, oh my goodness, yes. I have one client's passwords, and I read some of the emails he crafts, and then we I, I talk about what the girl really meant when she wrote this, and oh, steer clear of this one, but this one might be a good person to date. Oh yeah, I actually have um, been on his OK Cupid pass his web the website use under as him. I don't actually yeah, write yeah. for him, but I've done that a lot. We've crafted um, Tinder profiles, et cetera, a lot. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, this is just like, this This is a lot of stuff that we sometimes do reach out to our friends about, but often, you know, they're our friends and we can't feel totally comfortable saying everything about ourselves and saying everything that we so similarly, think. I see some teenage clients who don't who who aren't coming to me for on their online dating profiles, but they're coming to me because they're trying to get into colleges. Hmm. And so one one of my special clients and I are doing college visits. She goes to a boarding school, and so I sometimes have taken her to visit colleges when her parents are unavailable. And we're also working on her essays, which is not that different from writing your OkCupid profile. Because you need to express yourself in a way that's really true to you, but will also get you into college. And so that's something she and I do. Is we're talking about, in her case, we're talking about race. She's writing a lot about race. And um, that's a huge topic in and of itself. But we're, So what we do is we talk things out and we often record our conversations. And so then she can replay them and it jogs her memory of what to write. So she, has, she can outline and write something. So that's how we're working together. And, um, so I like to do things really interactively with my clients. One of my clients actually, I love him too. And he's a young guy. He's about 24 and he's, he's an accountant, but he doesn't want to be an accountant anymore. He instead wants to work in finance, just not as an accountant. And so he would get so, so nervous interviewing for jobs and, he would get very sweaty and he would stutter and stumble on words and he would say, and it, because we would do practice interviews with each other, and he would say, oh, let me get back to you. And I would tell him, I don't know that in your interview you'll be able to like get back to them or, or take this five-minute pause. You can use the bathroom once, but taking right. too many breaks is going to be very weird in your interview. Yeah. And so what we started doing... <laughs> After every question. <laughs> right. Like, like, uh, I need to I'll be right back. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> yeah. So what we started doing is playing catch. And so we would play catch like indoors or go to a park and play like catch, not hardball, but just like loose throwing the ball and catching. And then while we we're catching um, and throwing the ball, I would ask him questions and then he wouldn't have time to think. Right. He would, they, would, they would be really natural answers. And we did this enough that he got he, he's gotten like a bunch of offers and he's gotten like some new jobs and since I've worked with him, he's gotten two new jobs and that's, that's been awesome. awesome. It's been awesome. So I like to work creatively with my clients and doing the, the slow pitch with him yeah. <laughs> uh, was really mind body also because he couldn't, he was, he couldn't be in his head as much. So when he went to the interview, he sort of just like it was, it, he was able to like take himself out of this like stuffy conference room and bring himself back to a park and answer the questions much more naturally. And it worked. That was awesome. Um, it, well, 
so before we wrap up, sure. first off, what is uh, the, uh, the charity of the week? Oh, the charity of the week is called RAP, Women's Reproductive Rights Assistance Project. And they are an organization that's dedicated to helping women across the United States who need emergency contraception and funding for their abortions. That's awesome. Thanks. I was uh, I was just in Florida passing by a bunch of billboards oh. that would hate you right yeah, now. Yeah, they, <laughs> they, they do so, hate. It's like every <laughs> other, really, every other billboard in your state has to be about abortion. Right. And you clearly just hate women so right, much. Right, right. So I did a lot of work with rap for many years, and I love the... I love the organization. They do great, great work. And there are so many women in this country who are impoverished and need help. And I would hate for them, I do hate for them to be forced to carry a child to term and then raise this child that they never wanted. And can't afford. And can't afford and can't parent. Right. Or maybe were raped or any number of things. And also, how about letting women be in control of their bodies and get on, get... uh, um, contraception or emergency contraception before the problem exists. So yeah. RAP helps with this. We need more unwanted children <laughs> right. in our society. It'll fix everything. Um, so it, the website is www.rap.org. All right. Fantastic. So um, just to wrap up, do you do you have any I know this isn't necessarily how how it works um, because you'd probably actually be sitting and doing it with me but ha- have any takeaways for me just to start doing better bookkeeping like like even even oh if God. I even if I just I don't mean to put you on the spot here but I have trouble with like even if I just held on to receipts more and like organized them like I miss out on uh, like I wouldn't have to pay near the amount in taxes okay. and like whatever I, else. So given that I'm not an accountant, I can't give you particular advice on like holding onto receipts better, but I can say this. What if you devote one hour a week to doing that one thing that you hate? That one thing you hate is bookkeeping. So what if you decide that you're going to spend one hour, let's say five o'clock on Mondays doing it. And so you actually like, Put, put, it this in t- put this into your calendar where it says, dreaded thing I hate, bookkeeping. And Mon- Monday is going to be a real scary day <laughs> for me. <laughs> so maybe, so that you actually have to do it. Yeah. So that you put, so that when you're on tour and you're traveling, you keep all of your, your receipts in one envelope. Can you do that? Yep. Okay. Maybe you already do that. Yeah, I do. And then often I'll be like, oh, I don't. Now this is just a mess and I haven't dealt with it. In right. Forever. So what if you actually. And you know, the, the other thing that I like about that advice and which, which I'm sure to listeners probably seems like very simple, easy <laughs> advice to, to give and to get. But the fact of the matter is I'm just not doing anything right. like that. And and closing off or blocking off one hour a week um, would then because it's something that weighs on my mind a lot, like all through the rest of the week. And hopefully that would get it off my mind. Well, that's the other thing is, okay. So the other thing is it might not actually even take you the full hour, but if you build in one hour, you, it'll, that'll, you don't have an excuse. The other thing is why don't you call me next Monday 
and um, tell me I'm about to do this. And then an hour later, I'm going to check in with you and say, how did it go? All right. I'll For do real. that. Okay. And then, so that, so let's do that. We'll do that. And then I'll, I'll edit in a thing on the end of this podcast. Okay, perfect. And I'll, uh, I'll let people know. Oh, man. No, so now I you're have really, to you have it. to do it. Ah, so that, that's crap. the thing. That's the thing yeah. with working with me is that people are like, oh, God, I don't want to do this. And then they end up doing it. And they're like. It was much worse. My expectation of, of it, just like your happiness expectation, your dread expectation is usually much worse than the actual doing of it. So if you actually just do it, it might not be so bad. And then we'll process it when, when I call you. All right. Okay. All right. We'll do that. Okay, well, cool. thank you, Nina. You're welcome. This um, is great, Sean. Shane, 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 no Shane, Shane, edit that, please. Uh, no, no, you, yes. you knew the whole no, time I, people no, do please. it all Shane, the time. This Shane. is what a funny way to end the episode <laughs> is you having oh, God. a panic attack in front of me. <laughs> Listen, I'm aware that you're aware that my name is Shane. People yes. call me Sean all the time. My dad sometimes will slip and call me Sean. That's not true. But, well, it's because but, he's too busy uh, breaking your arm. He much. doesn't do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, good recovery. Uh, Nina Rubin, everybody, please go to the herewear.com website or herewearepodcast.com website and you can find out more about her work and, uh, and the charity of the week. And I'll see you guys next week. Next week on the program, my good friend Emily Gordon joins me to talk about her old life before getting into the comedy biz. Her old life being a uh, therapist, a, a family counselor, and a um, she counseled troubled teens and uh, schizophrenics, did all sorts of interesting work. And she has a new book out called Super You, which you should be able to get. Um, now it's coming out in... If it's not out by the time you hear this, it will be in a couple days, so you can pre-order it. And um, th- yeah, that's about it. It was a really, uh, really fun interview. Lots of laughs. It was, uh, it was it, one of one of the funnier interviews um, thus far, in my opinion. Uh, had a real good time. So make sure and listen next week. Thanks. <laughs>
I'm a bat. That helps people. I'm a, I'm a rich. I don't know what you want from me. And uh, my, and my a, girlfriend, she's a cat. She's a cat. My she, girlfriend's she, a cat. She steals things. She's a woman who steals things. She's a cat. I'm a bat. I, I'm a I bat. Help people. She's a cat. We fight a penguin. My. Uh, my <laughs> <laughs>